Yeah, that fall garden made sense two weeks ago, and I guess it still does make sense. But now we've planted it, and the deer are hungry, and they're pretty much laying waste to the collards, and we assume they will lay waste to everything else we planted in the fall garden, so we don't have any choice now. We have got to get that deer fence in now. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, And thank you all for joining us on our podcast today. We uh, have been talking about putting up a deer fence for some time now. And putting it off, putting it off. Doing research most of the time to see... Uh, what would be the best option for this, whether it should be a metal fence or some sort of, um, I guess it's a poly, what's the, the substance Polypropylene, called? Polypropylene. Polypropylene uh, fence or, you know, whether or not we should go with an electric fence. But we pretty much have decided on a metal covered metal with Metal hexagrid yeah. fence? Right. Uh, the nice thing about the metal hexagrid, as we understand it, is, uh, one, it's stronger. It's a... It's a metal um, fence, not a plastic one. And then it's coated with this black plastic coating. So that's one advantage of it. Um, the Another advantage is that it's supposed to last 30 years rather than 10 or 15 years, which, you know, when you're 55 and 56 as we are, 30 years pretty much takes care of things. <laughs> we figure the next deer fence is going to be installed by our children or grandchildren. Um, and... Finally, it has this one-inch mesh, which we think is small enough to keep the little critters out as well as the deer. So we're talking about one fence fabric that uh, takes care of the deer and the rabbit um, all at one time. And that's really important to us to deal with rabbits because we're pretty sure that uh, some of the collared loss this year has been, <laughs> I just see little chomp marks out of it so I'm sure, pretty sure that uh, so you think that's rabbits yeah I think so but you know we are beginning farmers learning to do this so we're not really sure we have had rabbits um, at our suburban home that we're leaving soon and um, I, I know what that damage looks like so I'm pretty sure we've got rabbits probably as well as deer but this past weekend when we were down we saw evidence that something large had been in the garden because there was a stick that we had pretty put stout up. yeah yeah pretty stout stick, stick yeah and uh, that we had used to to um, s connect some climbing french green beans to yeah i guess we just put it in as sort of a uh, fake stake so they could have something to climb right. on got there though on sunday and something had broken the stick in half so i think we're dealing with something a little larger than a rabbit but anyway, and, and another thing that uh, we noticed this past weekend when we went to the farm was our um, herb garden. We still have a few herbs. We'll probably talk more about that later. But um, we were coming from having seen some really lovely herbs at Point Clear, at specifically at the Grand Hotel in Point Clear, Alabama. And they've got this chef's herb garden that you just, you know, it sort of makes you salivate at when you're a farmer. You're looking at that. Of course... It, it doesn't hurt that they have this army of gnomes taking care of all <laughs> of their plants. 
Uh, but they sure are taking good care of their herb garden. All right. But but we had planted some fennel earlier, and I've actually planted some new fennel. Uh, we had some rather large caterpillars attack the fennel a couple of weeks ago and uh, pretty much lay waste to it. And it's beginning to get some foliage back, but that foliage is sort of a brown color. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what we're noticing at Point Clear was this gorgeous green fennel. I said, this is the way it's supposed to look. So we've taken pictures of the gorgeous green stuff at Grand Hotel as well as our less than gorgeous stuff at Longleaf Breeze. And we'll put them both up on the show notes page so you can see the difference. That's right. But uh, But we had a good time and looked around, got some ideas for our own planting, and, of course, came back to see what had happened at the farm over the past few days when we were, were not there. Um, the wildflowers had grown. That was one thing that I was really pleased about, that cosmos. We, uh, you planted that cosmos right up by the apartment, and it has this wonderful southern exposure wall. And I've forgotten where I, I read this, probably somewhere in Little Houses, but the idea is that if you have a wall, oh, I know it was in the uh, Gaia's Garden. Uh, if you have a wall with southern exposure that gets the sun, you create this little microclimate that's one or two zones to the south of you. And that's exactly what we apparently have done for your, little, for your cosmos. Um, what was fascinating is you planted them in the spring or late right. or early summer, mm -hmm. I guess. And then they, um, they did well. And then they sort of went dormant for a while during the heat of the summer. And here we are in mid-October, and they have uh, rejuvenated themselves. They're blooming. And, and have grown to about six feet. <laughs> uh, you have to look up to those cosmos now, which is interesting because, you know, for the longest time we're saying, oh, won't those wildflowers come up, please, please? And now they're there in spades. And the nice thing about them is that they are attracting all kinds of bees and other buzzing creatures who, of course, they're pollinators. They're the good guys that we want on the farm. So we have those. We also have our lantana seems to be uh, attracting even more bees, uh, more so than butterflies now. Earlier in the summer, they were it was a butterfly haven. And now, I guess, because of the time of year, we're seeing more of the pollinators there. So um, the, the wildflower garden is, is going great guns as well. And actually noticed uh, some of the knockout roses had some new blooms. Isn't that interesting? Because yeah, you yeah. would think that they would have uh, slowed down now, but I agree with you. They are um, blooming anew, yes. which is good. And I enjoy having them for aesthetic appeal as well as the fact that I've actually spotted a hummingbird or two out there um, right hanging around the, uh, the rose bushes. So I think this is a, it, we want to keep this wildflower garden going and get keep blooming things in there. And I want to remind you that when you put that flower garden in, I think I whined about it because I was really fo wanting to focus on the food crops, and I thought the the flower garden was sort of a petty frivolity. We just we, we didn't need to be distracted by worrying about silly old flowers. Uh, but your wisdom was was right on on target because that those flowers have been a great way to attract those pollinators, and it, they have stayed right. happy there. That's right. We uh, The other flower that we tried out there that didn't do so well were portulica. They had their moment in the sun. Yeah. Uh, I mostly bought those because they were supposed to be tolerant of heat and don't necessarily, don't, don't necessarily have to have really uh, rich soil. 
Um, and of course, we don't, although we had put some topsoil in the, in the bed. Uh, but they just have sort of petered out and not done too well. Um, but we started out with the um, actually a couple of gift plants my friends had given me. Uh, and one was that knockout rose, and it's done well, as we and said. And your gardenia? And gardenia, it's, even though it's no longer blooming and hasn't for some time, it, uh, it's a nice, healthy plant. But, and the lantana, as we were mentioning. That, and I certainly am a big believer in lantana. That has grown and attracted uh, so many helpful uh, pollinators and butterflies that will continue to do that every year. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, I th I'd like to see us, uh, and, and I do have one herb out there. I'd like to see us do more of those, kind of mixing it up. But the oregano that I put in that bed has gone great which guns. Is, which is doing <laughs> wonderfully. Yes. You know, your oregano is just as happy as it can be there. Yes. And there's an, one other herb that's done extremely well this season. <laughs> you are speaking, I'm sure, of the African blue basil. Uh, this is a plant that we got from Grow Alabama. We think back in May? May or June, right. Okay. right. Um, which was rare. Usually Grow Alabama, which is our CSA, our Community Supported Agriculture. Uh, normally they were providing us just food. But for whatever reason, they included a small African blue basil in the box. And it was healthy when mm -hmm. we uh, right. got it. But by the time we got it in the ground, it looked kind of pitiful, actually. It had gone a couple of weeks without getting enough sun because we were not at the farm with it. We were here in Birmingham. Um, and it sort of, I was kind of worried about the thing, actually. Oh, I think you <laughs> you had good reason to be. It just looked terrible when we got it in the ground. And I sort of thought it was going to die. Um, and many times during the, uh, the time that has intervened, I have wished that it had died. And I should mention, that did not go into the ornamental flower bed. We put that right in the herb garden, right in the heart of it, down the hill a ways. Yes, so. <laughs> and uh, I, I should take a moment and tell you why I am um, so negative about the African blue basil. It has a very pungent taste. The sweet basil is delightful. I mean, it, it, sweet basil really helps perk up whole lot of vegetables, um, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, salads right, are better right. with that with sweet basil in them. But that African blue basil is more reminiscent of licorice. It's a it's an unpleasant sweet taste. At least to you, right? I, at <laughs> least to me. And as a result, I've been on the warpath about the African blue basil. You know, I was kind of you know whining about it, didn't like it, wanted to cut it down, but you wouldn't let me. And now I'm really glad you wouldn't let me because what we found this weekend when we went down is that the uh, several of the flowers that the pollinators have looked to for sustenance have faded here in the fall. But the African blue basil is still going strong. And it's when huge. We, it is. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, uh, belly button high now. Yeah. And when you walk out to the African blue basil and just stop and look at it, it is literally alive with bees. Yes, healthy, happy pollinators. Uh, and, and you put something on the, the site this there's week a, about that, There's a post you? on the blog, uh, I Love African Blue Basil, and it has a brief, brief, brief little video um, of the, the bees swarming around in the plant. So I invite you to take a look at that. I'll try to include a link to it on the show notes page. And I, th I think it's probably worth it to talk a little bit about the uh, the remnants of the spring and summer planting that are still producing uh, a little bit in the garden. That's right. Uh, we have some okra. Yes. The okra is now, um, you have to reach up 
to get to the very top. Don't you? We think it's maybe about seven feet tall. <laughs> yeah. So when you are harvesting the okra, I notice you're pulling that stalk down so you can get it to the point where you can get at it with your snips. That's right. And the banana peppers are just going bananas. <laughs> bananas. No, no, exactly. Pun they, intended. They've been going strong since the time they came up. I guess the banana peppers are probably the closest thing we have to a production plant. Right. They just never quit. Right. We've planted about nine of those, and you gave me a hard time. At the, you said, why did you plant so many? Well, I bought a flat of banana peppers. And one or two, you know, the plants didn't look that healthy. But, boy, they have just enjoyed our soil and our conditions there. They are one of the few plants that are actually in a raised bed. Um, and I don't know whether that's, there's something about the raised bed that has helped. Right. We should, we might, you know, we talked about not doing raised beds again, but perhaps maybe that's one that we should try again. I'm in favor of replicating everything we can about those, uh, about the situation right. they've had because they have been terrific. But we, we also planted eggplant in the raised bed, and it was doing well for a while, although the eggplants were the ones that uh, attracted deer. Yes. <laughs> we had to plant, we had to pick them <laughs> earlier than we so should have. So we've ended up eating all of these little bitty eggplants, uh, and, and the reason we've, eat, we've ended up eating little bitty eggplants is that neither of us was willing to leave an eggplant on the plant long enough to mature because we figured if we did, then it'd be gone when we came back. Well, we kept finding teeth marks in the exterior of them, so we, we went ahead and uh, and harvested them. But right now, they, they're petered out or they're gone for the yeah. season, I think. The, the foliage itself on the eggplant is still healthy, but uh, we haven't had any fruit from the eggplant in quite some time. Right, in a while. Uh, we have a few, we do, we have, we planted three different kinds of tomatoes, and the one that still seems to be producing are those sweet 100s, those little grape tomatoes. Which, if you remember, they were the first ones to begin bearing, mm -hmm. and now they're the last ones right. to continue bearing. Uh, the Better Boys and the Mountain Pride have basically shut down. Right. And for that reason, I believe that the next time we go down there, we should just cut all that, the, the, the tomatoes, except for the sweet 100s, down to the ground and just... Um, I guess, let the roots stay in the ground, we're thinking, but take exactly. that. That's what we're talking about doing. And the idea is from the garden, gardening organically people, you do not, do not, do not, do not want bare soil. So we're trying to keep, every, we're trying to do everything we can to keep from having bare soil. So what we'll do is snip off those tomatoes and then probably distribute them around wherever we see bare soil, just distribute those, the carcasses of the tomato plants so that um, the little critters can come up and eat that and bring, take it back down into the soil. Right. That's pretty much what we did with the squash vines after they died. So yeah, or and it worked out well. Plants were and there is gone. no visible sign of those squash vines. I mean, they are just, nope. they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. And um, I guess the other, the other uh, crop that's worth mentioning are our watermelons. We've actually, and, and the cantaloupes as well. Yeah. The watermelons are the small, round variety. They do have seeds. But uh, that also is a, a fruit that's had a few teeth marks <laughs> in, this, in the rind. Th luckily, they have really thick rinds. So we've been harvesting a couple of those. And, and even though we got them a little earlier than we probably should have, they're pretty sweet. So we'll continue to enjoy our watermelon. And we've got, what, four or five uh, right. watermelons still growing Right, and actually a few small ones, which, you know, I don't know what happens when the weather turns cold. Yeah. It could be that that'll be the end of them. The cantaloupe, 
that I planted. Well, now, before you oh, go to the cantaloupe, yeah, let's yeah. talk about the watermelon because okay. Adrian and Kenny, Adrian, our, our daughter, and her boyfriend, Kenny, are due here Tuesday. That's right. We want to save that a watermelon. Tomorrow. A watermelon for them. <laughs> so we're going to harvest another watermelon with them. And you need to know that Adrian is our announcer. So when we talk about uh, thank you, Adrian, and get us out of here, Adrian, it'll, it's Adrian Lee Borden, our daughter who lives in California. Right. We're so pleased to have her as a part of the program as well as a daughter. So <laughs> um, <laughs> and we're hoping that they will enjoy having some watermelon. And, and the other thing I was going to mention is the cantaloupe. We yes. don't know that any of that will be ready by the, their, the during their stay here but the cantaloupe has a bit of a story um we mentioned grow alabama earlier well we received some cantaloupe from grow alabama back in the spring and it was the sweetest uh, cantaloupe it was some of the best i've ever had and so we took the seeds and uh, on the very last day that i possibly was supposed to do this that is they're supposed to be planted in june I, on June 30th, about 5 o'clock p.m., I was out there <laughs> planting those cantaloupe seeds, but the plant just took off. Has taken over the whole uh, southeast corner of the garden. Right. Um, unfortunately, deer and or rabbits are preying on the fruit. So we have a few cantaloupe that are still getting larger out there, and we're hoping that they survive. But... Uh, we have lost quite a few, and they've just ended up going to the compost pile. Yeah, and probably will lose. Uh, it, realistically, there's, uh, they're unlikely to bear in a way that we can really enjoy. Right, but I'll plant them earlier next year. <laughs> you bet, and we will enjoy seeing them develop. And, of course, that, um, you know, that vine that they've developed is great for the soil. We'll let it right. um, go back into the soil and nourish right. it. We have a few green beans still uh, winding down the season, and I planted some lima beans uh, kind of midway through the summer, maybe toward the, uh, well, whenever we were supposed to plant them. It's a little bit later than the, the other part of the spring garden. And uh, they're beginning to come on, so we're hoping we have some, some lima beans pretty soon. Um, and, um, of course, we didn't talk a whole lot about the fall garden that was planted, but about two weeks ago? Well, two weeks ago lettuces. is when you... Um, it, it was actually a little before then that you planted the first trunk, right? right? Lettuce, um, some spinach, some kale, some mustard. So and Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts, that's right. And, and then the chives. Yeah, and that uh, came the second week. The second week. Oh, you're, you're talking about mm, the thing. Right. Okay. Uh, the second week, I uh, put in some peas and carrots and parsnips and uh, chives and some other herbs as well. And we're capturing all of this data on our database. This is the Longleaf Be uh, Breeze database. And I, can I talk just a little bit oh about yes. what we're doing with that? Mm -hmm. um, we don't really remember when, as you can tell, we don't remember exactly when we planted things in the summer or the spring. And it's um, not good that we can't remember. We should have uh, a better recollection of that. So what we've resolved to do with this database is from now on we want to keep a careful record of when we plant each thing, uh, where we got it, and then record the results we get. And our hope is that we will, by doing that, we will learn what works and what doesn't. What we're doing that's weird is that we are making that database, uh, we are maintaining it online so it's available to the world. So we invite you to uh, follow the database if you wish and find out what we're doing and how it's working out. 
I will include a link to the database on the show notes page so that you can get there. Right, and we thought it was important to indicate the variety of each uh, type of produce as well as the seed company because we are trying actively to avoid uh, using any seed that's connected with Monsanto. Um, and which, is hard, which is harder than it sounds. Yes. It's very um, disturbing to see how many companies have been quietly taken over by one giant corporation. So we avoid uh, buying anything that comes from Monsanto if we find out about it. Right, and if you'd like more information about that um, whole story, it's not just that we're trying to avoid part of being part of a monopoly, but uh, they are genetically modifying seeds and um, making them so that they're not fertile, I suppose, to use the next year. So And systematically removing from circulation heirloom seeds that people can save and reuse. So we just think it's important for in our fellow gardeners to see uh, what type of seed we're using. And, you know, we'd love to hear from you about your results with those seeds. Yeah. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about the grass, so I guess that'll happen next right. week. We'll have a, a conversation right. about that next week. Yes. Yes, the grass being the lawn, uh, it, basically we have some washing. <laughs> you should clarify that. <laughs> we have some washing issues just as a part of the the landscaping of trying to live and work in a place that's uh, incredibly hilly. So uh, we're trying to address that, and we will be having a lot to say about that in the coming weeks. You bet. So we'll look forward to visiting with you next week. Get us out of here, Adrian. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.